Hello, and welcome back to the Food Pod. Uh, I'm your host, Ryan McKenna, and alongside me this week is, as usual, Jeff Lowe and Peter Galindo. But we'll also have a new special guest this week, our first ever guest on either the Prem Pod or the Food Pod, and it's uh, Joshua Cloak from The Athletic. Joshua, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on this cleverly titled podcast. I love it. I'm glad. Uh, you know, we, we had a little bit of struggles with uh, the naming of, of this particular podcast, but we won't get into those uh, right now. Uh, Jeff Lowe and Peter Galindo, how are you guys? Doing well. Uh, it, the title is Uniquely Ryan McKenna. We kind of took his terrible mispronunciation and ran with it. Precisely. No, I love it. All right, guys. Well, we, we were treated to uh, an interesting weekend of Bundesliga football uh, that's past weekend. And, and when I say that, you know, there was a, a little bit of, of shock, I think, in, in some of the matches to, to start off. And, and let's jump right into it with our first segment of, of this week's show. And I want to start it off with a, a question of what was the most surprising thing to happen this weekend? Was it Paderborn tying RB Leipzig or was it Bayern losing for in and around 20 minutes to uh, Leverkusen? What do you say? We'll start with, uh, with you, Jeff. I think it was definitely a surprise to see Byron go down, but it, the biggest surprise for me of the weekend has to be Paderborn drawing with Leipzig. It's just such a disappointing for result for Leipzig. You know, they had a chance to put some distance between themselves and, and Gladbach for for third place after Gladbach uh, lost, and, and to draw at home against a bottom-of-the-table side that hasn't won since January is really brutal. You know, this Leipzig has, has Champions League aspirations, and not only for this league uh, campaign, but for next. And they've been really a tough team to nail down since the restart. They've had some dominant high-scoring games, but uh, on either side of those games have been some really disappointing draws. So I think this has got to be the worst one so far, and that's probably the most surprising uh, result for me. Yeah, Josh, I'm sure, or Joshua, I'm sure whenever you you saw uh, Lucas Alario score in the ninth minute, a little bit of surprise there on your part? Yeah, that one was up there, but I also think that, you know, Gladbach losing to Freiburg, I mean, that's not to take anything away from Freiburg, but like you said, you look at the top of the table, um, it's pretty close, right? Leipzig, Gladbach, Leverkusen, all really close, and there was an opportunity here for, you know, Leipzig and both Gladbach to really separate themselves um, from Leverkusen and really solidify one of those top four spots. Um, so for them to lose 1-0 to Freiburg, I mean, I, I always have a soft spot for Freiburg and their coach and they're, they, you know, they're the kind of organization that I like from, a, I guess, a, what a, an ethical perspective. But uh, yeah, that was surprising, especially considering they've been on a decent run of form lately, coming off a big uh, 4-1 win against Berlin and you know, a, a win against uh, Frankfurt to kind of start this this restart. So that one was a bit surprising for me. I mean, any at this point in the season, any time a, a team with top four aspirations drops points, it, it, it has to be a bit surprising. Yeah, especially Gladbach there. It just seemed like they really couldn't finish in this one. I think they finished with 14 shots and, and then Freiburg pulling out that victory, which was huge for them. Uh, Peter, do you have any thoughts on, on what was more surpri- or most surprising for you this past weekend? Not that none of those were surprising. They definitely were. But the fact that Bayern was actually trailing in a game for the first time in about six months was certainly a shock. Uh, The last time they trailed in a match was, 
ironically against Werder Bremen of all teams on December the 14th. Uh, they ended up winning 6-1 that day, so it's not like it really mattered. And kind of like what we saw this past weekend, they ended up sort of steamrolling past Leverkusen after a bit of a, of a rocky start. But it, it, as soon as Kingsley Coleman scored that goal, you could kind of almost sense, okay, they're... They kind of poked the bear and they've awoken the beast here. And, and this is not going to end well for Leverkusen, especially with that very ultra attacking lineup they had. Yeah, they ended up uh, coming back and scoring three times in that first half before beating uh, Leverkusen 4-2. All, all very interesting points. And I think we'll have more to talk about with Bayern a little bit later in the show. But also of note is uh, Dortmund uh, beating Hertha 1-0. Guys, we saw players kneeling uh, before the match to, to stand against racism. Uh, this happened in a few different uh, games throughout this past weekend. And now, earlier today, uh, Leverkusen came out and uh, and with some of their kits for this weekend uh, with the hashtag Black Lives Matter. This is certainly a movement that is, is not going away. And we talked previously just about how it, it is nice to see footballers uh, actually showing the support to these issues. So uh, it will be interesting to uh, to see, uh, you know, Leverkusen wear those those kits this weekend and if those uh, acts of solidarity will will continue. Yeah, it's good. It, it's really good to see in the Bundesliga as, uh, you know, one of the only leagues in the world, major leagues in the world currently playing right now to uh, take a stand and, and to see their players really promoting the cause like we said last week it's it's good to see and 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 hopefully it keeps up and turns into more action and again that's very much commonplace in the bundesliga you always see the ultras they're always very pro and i mentioned this last week they're you know they're anti-racism they're pro lgbt they're they're always standing up for these sorts of causes so it's not too much of a surprise to me that, that the Bundesliga is kind of allowing this, although we have seen a little bit of pushback against the Ultras on some of these issues, which is sad to see. But it's nice that everybody's kind of come together and are standing up and using their platforms for this. Yeah, and what it speaks to for me, we know, you guys all know, and anybody that follows the Bundesliga knows the really incredible connection that clubs have with their fans. You know, we know that 50 plus one is such an important rule in German football culture. And it's important to me to see these players kind of speaking up on behalf of their fans, even without fans in the stadiums, right? Because we know that our, we have to assume that we're fans in the stadium. Peter, I think you just said that, you know, these fans, these ultras in Germany have generally made an important point to to raise awareness about important social issues in Germany. So to see players kind of act on behalf of the fans that they that they play for, even though those fans are not there, I, I thought that was something that, that really stood out to me throughout the weekend. And honestly, knowing what I think we all know about German football and German players and German clubs, I don't expect this to stop either. Right. German clubs have always made a point of raising awareness about social issues. So I don't think this will be a fa I hope it, it won't be a fad either. Yeah, Joshua, you make a good point there. And one thing that I thought about is as we we're having some responses there is how other leagues are now going to respond as we see other leagues sort of start to come back into fruition. Uh, it was announced earlier today, we're recording on a Wednesday, that MLS is coming back in, in early July with a, a, a World Cup style tournament. 
Premier League is back next Wednesday on June 17th with two games. I'm really interested to see how this movement goes forward, if these sort of demonstrations will continue, if you know players will continue to have stuff written on their shirts and, and on their kits after they score goals as we go forward and as more sports leagues uh, start to open back up. I think uh, it will be something to keep an eye on, especially, you know, in, in the U.S., the, the kind of the center of um, some very important discussions about, you know, race and sports and, and, and race and culture. And, it, you know, a part of the world where, you know, there are a lot of problems to, to fix. And, it, it, you know, what? It, it's interesting. We, we The Bundesliga, a lot of people thought when it came back, people thought, well, this is, this is a great opportunity for the Bundesliga to show itself um, and the talent that's in this league, right? Because it, it, it isn't a league that gets talked about in the same way as the Premier League and, and La Liga. And, and that's fine. I think they've, they've done that. But by happenstance, it's, it's also been an incredible opportunity for teams and players to, to show a bit of a social conscience um, at a time when there aren't a lot of athletes or aren't any athletes kind of doing that in the world right now so uh kudos to to those players uh that did step up and 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 take a stand and and make their voices heard and and you know we hope that i hope that that they're just kind of paving the way for other players to do just that i agree with you joshua thanks so much for for the input there all right well let's talk a little bit about uh some some other matches from this past weekend in in the bundesliga and these were sort of the, the battle for Europa League spots in, in the uh, Bundesliga. So we already know what, what Leverkusen's result was, but we had some interesting matchups between Wolfsburg and, and Hoffenheim here. Uh, Hoffenheim had a, a great opportunity to sort of distance himself, but they end up uh, tying with Dusseldorf 2-2. And then you have uh, Wolfsburg, who, who does uh, come away with three points uh, with a one nothing victory over Werder Bremen. And then uh, Peter uh, Schalke, an interesting team here. They, they don't seem to be having a whole lot of, of luck in getting into the win column. And they end up uh, drawing with Union Berlin 1-1. Yeah, I think that chuckle sort of said it all. That describes Schalke's form in 2020. They were lucky to get a point from that game. Take nothing away from John Joe Kenny's goal. It was, it was fantastic. But that was one of four shots for Schalke in this game. And they were outshot 13-4 to by Union Berlin, who were not in the greatest of form entering this game and very much needed points to kind of keep themselves out of that relegation battle, which I think they've now done, barring a complete collapse. But look, for me, it's now gotten to the point where no Ahmed Kutuchu, no party. They don't have any forwards who can score. They lost their top two forwards in Serdar and Harit to injury. So why not give the young Katuchu, you know, someone who came through at Schalke a, a chance? Because when you think about that club, you think about all the great players that have come through that academy. And considering they have really nothing to lose now, why not give them a shot? But it's going to be intriguing to see what happens to specifically David Wagner after the season's done, just because I feel tactically things are all over the place a little bit. They play with a high line. They do press somewhat, but it's not very aggressive and there's tons of holes to play through. It is a young team. It is a team that's kind of incomplete at the moment, but considering they are cash strapped at the, at the, at the present time, they're probably going to have to sell a player or two and that could leave, leave them in the lurch a little bit. 
Just of note there as well, uh, we had also been talking uh, in the last couple of shows about Eintracht Frankfurt uh, and their good run of form. It's now stopped after a 2-0 loss to Mainz. That was actually a big win for Mainz as they move uh, past Dusseldorf and into 15th place in the Bundesliga table. Um, I think that's a good lead-in for us here to look at the Bundesliga table after uh, this past match day. Bayern, of course, still on top. They're, they're seven points clear of, of Dortmund. Should be wrapping up that title here, that eighth straight title, pretty soon. Uh, Dortmund's got a four-point lead uh, over RB Leipzig in second place. Gladbach, Leverkusen, they're both tied on 56 points for that final Champions League spot in out of the Bundesliga. And then, of course, uh, the matchup for sixth place, that final Europa League spot, is uh, getting ever so interesting. Uh, Wolfsburg finally, or still holding on to it on 45 points, but Hoffenheim on 43, and then uh, SC Freiburg on 41 points. If we look at the bottom of the table, as I mentioned, Mainz with that big victory, they uh, are in 15th place on 31 points and three ahead of Dusseldorf, who has 28 points. Werder Bremen has 25, and then Paderborn has uh, 20 points in last place, although it's coming off that big matchup this past weekend. Guys, any thoughts as we uh, take a look at uh, the Bundesliga tables? I have a I have a couple. First of all, Peter's tearing down of Schalke rivals for me his uh, not so subtle hatred of Lesser City. So I get he a real kick out of that. Master. Yeah, he, he's not a not a huge fan. Um, even though he'll he'll definitely deny it when I give him the chance to talk. But I really like when Peter goes off on Schalke as well. That is a huge joy. But yeah, looking at the table, I think uh, it's going to be really interesting. You know, all those races, Ryan, that you that you mentioned the champions league, that final spot between Gladbach and, and Leverkusen, that's going to be really fun. And maybe Leipzig too, uh, could make it interesting if they keep playing inconsistently like they are that final Europa league spot, you know, there's four points between the three teams that are vying for that. And then I'm, I'm a huge fan of the possibility of chaos at the bottom of the table and Mainz win over the weekend puts a little bit of a wrench into that. But you know, if you, if you look at at the table from, 11th to 15th there's there's just four points separating and if Dusseldorf can close close the gap a little bit that could uh, really put some things up into the air so I'm looking forward to seeing how that unfolds at the bottom I'm already looking forward to talking uh, a little bit later about the upcoming draws this weekend but that Dusseldorf one uh, off the top is is very interesting uh, Joshua as you look at the table is there anything that stands out to you well, again, I know we kind of touched on it, but looking at the, that that fourth and final Champions League spot to me is is what is is really interesting because I I can't really determine at this point between Leipzig, Gladbach, Leverkusen, who really, um, for lack of a better term, deserves that spot, and and maybe who would kind of best fit in terms of representing the Bundesliga, um, you know, and I, I know we're going to talk about them a bit later, but if Kai Havertz stays with Leverkusen um, next season, I, which isn't a complete impossibility at this point, maybe it'd be great to see him in the Champions League, right? Gladbach, again, a very traditional club, not so bad to see them in the Champions League either. So, um, yeah, I, I think um, there's obviously a lot of intrigue at the bottom of the table too, and but for me, just deciding who's going to take that final Champions League spot. And it's gotten to that point where there really only is those two spots kind of up for grab. We know that Dortmund and, and Bayern are foregone conclusions in terms of, you know, those teams getting two of those four Champions League spots. And, and 
these are three teams that have kind of been in the mix for the last few years. So we'll see what happens there. But that's going to be something that really plays out uh, over the next few weeks. And we know Gladbach has Bayern coming up this weekend. That's a huge opportunity for them, for, for Gladbach to really throw a wrench in, in kind of that the, the plans of a lot of teams in that top five. So we'll see that. But that's where my intrigue lies right now. There's so much at stake when it comes to that final Champions League spot, like so much money involved. And, yeah. and um, you know, obviously the 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 honors that come with being in the Champions League, it's a huge tournament. And and these teams, since the restart, just haven't really been able to find their footing. We've seen some really great performances from all of them, but also we've seen some pretty bad ones. So it's going to be really dramatic coming down to the last few matches. Peter, if you're looking at this table and you see RB Leipzig on 59 points and you're seeing their, their run of form of lately, do you think there's a little bit of concern there for, for keeping them in the Champions League talk as well? They just can't get a win at home. That's what's killed them in the restart. You know, you thought Paderborn was a layup. It wasn't because Dio Upamecano gets himself, in the end, stupidly sent off and leaves his team exposed. That was that was such a dumb move. Yeah, it was. I mean, th- th- there's no explaining it really. And and Alisson Playa, who got himself sent off for Gladbach, his first yellow card was for something very similar, and then he ended up getting sent off. So you'd think players would would kind of keep their cool a little bit, especially without fans in the. In, in, in the stands, but I guess it just goes to show you that competitive streak is still there, but I digress. You know, now that Leipzig can't seem to really do well at home and, and with Upamecano suspended, um, and by the way, he's been looking kind of average since the restart. Some of that's down to the, just the difference in, in formations that Leipzig have been playing and whatnot, but it's maybe a bit of a concern given that he has been linked to some pretty big transfers uh, for the summer. I'm not too concerned yet because I think we have seen them almost turn it on after one of these results. And it makes you think, oh yeah, this is clearly one of the top two or three teams in the league. When Timo Werner is firing, when, I mean, Christopher Nkunku has been exceptional. This is a team that is a force to be reckoned with. It's just those moments that make you scratch your head and go, why? Like, how is this even possible? Agreed, Peter. Agreed big time. And Peter, I'm actually going to keep it here with you as we enter into into our next uh, segment, the Canadian content. I, I want you to sort of break down Alfonso Davies' performance uh, in this weekend's win over Leverkusen. And then, uh, Joshua, I'd like you to sort of chip in with, with maybe your thoughts after Peter finishes. This week was, I, I guess, the Leverkusen game because the uh, cup semifinal was today and, and he looked fantastic in the final third really active considering Bayern was playing like a 2-4-4 in possession um but for the Leverkusen game because you had Bellarabi and Amiri on that side Davies had to be a little bit more cautious but much like the previous game he was allowed to show off his defensive attributes in this one no one had more tackles or recoveries than Davies uh, six tackles 11 recoveries he's one of the top pressing fullbacks in the Bundesliga this season and he showed that here I mean, constantly winning back the ball, you know, and, and not just like, you know, running back and, and trying to steal the ball off somebody. I'm talking, you know, he's just in the right position. He sticks his foot out, wins the ball, starts a counterattack the other way. Um, and that's good for him because that's been a criticism. It's certainly been a criticism of mine. But the more he does it, the more you kind of think, okay, he's starting to get the hang of this now. And that's, and that's only positive for him because the better he does on both sides of the ball, obviously just the better player he is going to be. Yeah, I, I agree. And Peter, I, I always love, uh, you know, reading your, your tweets as, as you, you, you tweet along to, to Davies games, because we sometimes see things similarly, sometimes very different. Um, but what I love is, is that 
when you look at his improvement this season and how, how far he's come defensively, it really does change the the future of the, you know, where should Alfonso Davies play conversation. I mean, I've long believed that he should play on the wing, and obviously that's a very difficult thing for him to do when you're playing for one of the top clubs in the world because the best wingers at Bayern and, you know, are some of the best wingers on the planet. But the way he's improved defensively really changes maybe how Bayern go about planning for next season, doesn't it? Because, you know, he kind of comes in at left back with some serious injuries to their back line and maybe he's looked at as a stopgap. Maybe Bayern now are thinking, well, you see how much he's improved defensively in his defensive organization and his ability to to read plays and his ability to use his his speed, his his natural asset to, to get back and to defend against some of the best forwards in the league. Maybe that makes player X or player Y expendable, doesn't it? Maybe we now see him not as a winger, but maybe we see him as a left back long term. And what does that mean for David Alibad? What does that mean for where he plays? It just completely changes the conversation just because his adjustment to the position has been so swift. And I think if, you know, Peter, you kind of touched on this. If, if we had, if the season had ended and we said, well, it was a good season, but he's still got a long ways to go defensively, we'd probably still say that's okay because he's 19 and playing for Bayern Munich. But the way he's adjusted so quickly really changes the conversation for Bayern in terms of their team planning, their lineup planning for next season. And that's something that I don't think any of us, even you know, you and I, Peter, who are we are some of his staunchest kind of believers, at least in 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 the Twitter sphere. So um, I, I love thinking about what Davies has done, but to me it's even more intriguing to think about what does his success this season mean for, for Byron moving forward because he has really changed what this team is capable of. Just to add on to one of Josh's points, now obviously with so many players, I think having a rejuvenation under Flick, we've seen Jerome Boateng look fantastic. Uh, Thomas yeah. Muller has been rejuvenated. You know, Now Nicholas Sula's coming back. This just adds more of a not really a selection headache for Flick, but more decisions to make for everybody else in, in charge. Salahamidzic, for example, um, you know, who to sign, who to keep, who to sell. And and this is what I think Bayern really wants. They want to be in that impossible situation. Well, do we choose to keep this player or do we sign a replacement? And that's, and that's only good for them. Jeff, uh, where do you sort of see uh, Alfonso Davies going forward? These guys have made great points as to why he's he's improved greatly and changed the conversation around Bayern Munich because he's played so well at left back. I mean, I can't help but thinking if he continues to make this progress, I know it's a conversation a lot of Canadian soccer fans have had. Do Canada start thinking the same thing if he becomes, you know, a lead at that position? Or will he always be an attacker for Canada? I mean, maybe Peter and Joshua can speak better to that but I'm always thinking about that when I'm watching Davies perform very well at left back and and like the guy said at such a young age. John Herdman on a kick in the grass for Sportsnet he was asked about whether Davies is going to play more left back now that he's doing so well with Bayern and he talked about putting him at left back when they're going up against teams specifically in CONCACAF of course teams that set up in low blocks um, because if you have an extra runner on a flank that can obviously cause overloads and and that can unlock the, the low block and then you have space to exploit. The only, I guess, criticism I have of that is he started at left back against Haiti. Haiti played in a low block at the Gold Cup 
and they exploited Davies time and time again. He's also grown a lot in the position, so maybe that doesn't happen again against you know, a, a mid-tier team in CONCACAF like Haiti. But again, he has world-class players at Bayern, which helps. He plays in a system that gets the most out of him. His attributes, his best attributes are being utilized. Uh, his weaknesses are being masked a lot more. I'm not sure Canada has the exact same personnel to play the exact same way Bayern does, but maybe there's a, a, a way that Herdman can sort of change it to ensure that Davies can thrive a little bit more at left back compared to what we've seen in some of those games, like against the U.S. in November. It's it's definitely getting lonely out here on uh, Alfonso Davies as a winger island um, because they, they're just, you know, and I, I've been banging the street drum for a long time and my argument um just with with alfonso davies you know to be, be a winger with the national team is trying to me you want to get the most out of out of you know a player's abilities and if you have a game breaker you have to use him in the position where he can literally break games wide open and you could argue that even though he's played left back for bayern all season there's still very few as dynamic an attacker uh, as Alfonso Davies is in CONCACAF, right? So if you have this kind of player, you know, in, in your lineup, why not let him kind of run free, right? But I also know that, that, like you said, Peter, perhaps he's a little more valuable with those overlapping runs and, and kind of taking teams by surprise. Um, it, 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 look, it's, we can have entire podcasts dedicated to this conversation um, and we still won't have the answer. Um, and I guess, we will, Joshua. We will well, have entire podcasts. <laughs> I, I, lately, I've been stopping and kind of reminding my, myself how great it is that the Canadian soccer community is able to have a conversation like this than one that isn't filled with sorrow instead, you know? Yeah, absolutely, Joshua. And, and, I, and I agree 100%. And, and I look forward to having more of these sort of conversations as we go uh, towards the 2026 World Cup. Guys, let's take a look at, ahead to the upcoming draws for this weekend. So there's four match days left in that campaign, which is crazy, it, it, especially since it seemed like not too long ago that we may not even get this season in. Um, but let's just go over uh, the, the biggest game of this weekend. And we've referenced it a couple times already in this, this podcast, which is Bayern Munich against Gladbach. So just to tee this one up a little bit, in that win for Bayern over uh, Leverkusen, both Thomas Mueller and Robert Lewandowski got yellow cards, which means that they are out for this weekend's game against Gladbach. What sort of impact will not having those two guys in the lineup do for a Gladbach squad that needs a win? There have been a lot of players that have really looked good and had a bit of a renaissance uh, under Hansi Flick. and I would argue that, that Thomas Muller is perhaps at the top of that list. You know, he's having an incredible season in terms of his playmaking. And, and we know, you know, the assists he's providing are, are are off the charts. And, you know, I think that that Lewandowski and, and, and Muller are, are probably still the two most important players at Bayern, um, in part because of like how long they've played together now. Like We know that Thomas Muller is Mr. Bayern. He's the face of the club. But... Lewandowski is he's getting on there in terms of like how many seasons he's played for the club and how many games he's played and he's becoming a bit of a Bayern legend himself and you know for a striker to have that kind of capability for a striker to play that way um, he's only benefited if he can have another forward near him 
who really understands his movements and, and really understands um, where he is kind of like instinctually on the pitch, right? So I guess all this is to say that they're really going to miss him. They're really going to miss those two this weekend. Um, I don't want to say it levels the playing field because it's still Bayern and they're still the individual quality they have is just on another level in the Bundesliga. But if there were any two players that I'm sure Gladbach were to say, we could, if we could take those two players out of the lineup, who would it be? I, I think those two names would be at the top of the list. So yeah, I, I think it'll be, I think it'll have a big impact this weekend. Yeah. And it represents a, a huge opportunity for Gladbach with those two players out. Uh, I mean, combined that's 37 goals and 23 assists that uh, in the league that are being taken out of that game. And, after such a disappointing result last week, like we've talked about, Gladbach now has uh, a big opportunity uh, if they approach it that way. Like Joshua said, it's still going to be tough. It's still Bayern Munich, and they'll find ways to get the ball in the back of the net. But Gladbach has to look at this uh, as an opportunity, and Leverkusen as well, uh, because they're going to have an opportunity here if, if Bayern beats Gladbach, like we probably all expect to then leapfrog leapfrog Gladbach in standings and and jump into that final Champions League spot so yeah it's it represents a huge game not only for the teams that are playing in it but for, uh, for Leverkusen as well it's just disappointing that LSM player had to get himself suspended because if he was available this would have been way more intriguing when he started in the first match of the season that's obviously when Gladbach beat Bayern not that it probably would have been an indicator of what's to come this weekend, but it would have increased their chances. They still have a, a few contributors, obviously Marcus Turam, Florian Neuhaus has been excellent, you know, Lars Stindl still a threat, but without Playa, someone who is so important to how they play and, and someone who leads the line in, in so many ways, it, it kind of makes you wonder okay, you know, will someone like, say, Briel Embolo be able to replace him properly? I'm not so sure. Um, and then for Bayern, it's, okay, is Felipe Coutinho going to come back in? Is Joshua Zerxi going to get a chance? Whatever the answer is, at the very least, it'll be a little bit more of an interesting watch. But I, I think I agree with all of you, Bayern should be able to get a win here. But what if they don't, Peter? And, and that sort of just adds to the intrigue. Like, you look at if Babak wins, and then Leipzig doesn't have uh, an easy contest this weekend uh, whenever they uh, have their match against Hoffenheim on Friday afternoon here in Canada. So that's going to be an interesting one. There's just so much intrigue going on this weekend, not to mention Dusseldorf uh, takes on Dortmund this weekend. Uh, Dusseldorf will definitely be uh, vying for a win, especially now that they're in the, the relegation zone. Not helping their cause is the fact that Erling Holland as well as Marco Royce, uh, who uh, Royce has been out with a muscle injury since the start of February. They are both back in full training on Tuesday. I don't think Royce is too, too close to getting back. Uh, Holland would definitely be, be quicker, but still adding to so much intrigue. Just rhyming off a few more games, and then I'll get your guys' thoughts. Wolfsburg takes on Freiburg. Hertha against uh, Frankfurt. Uh, Schalke versus Leverkusen uh, are some of the other highlights this weekend. So lots of interesting football going on, guys. I, w I just want to get Joshua's and Peter's thoughts just on one thing when it comes to Byron. I probably should have jumped in before, but I'm just curious as to Peter kind of alluded to it, who you guys think might come in for Lewandowski and Mueller and, and how they might try to make up for the loss of those two players. I mean, it was, it, it was interesting to, to see today. Um, 
you know, in, in Bayern's uh, Pokal semifinal against Eintracht Frankfurt, um, Hansi Flick makes a substitution, brings in Lucas Hernandez um, in the second half and moves Davies up to kind of a more forward role. He was kind of roaming. It wasn't a really defined position, but he was playing forward. And I, I, I can't help but wonder if he's maybe thinking about that. I know we're, we're kind of overloading on the Alfonso Davies talk, but, you know, to, to make a substitution like that a few days before a match, knowing that you're going to be without forwards, maybe he's, you know, just kind of tinkering and, may, you know, they move to a three-back system in the second half of that Frankfurt match. And, and maybe that's something he's thinking about. Um, Joshua Xerxes, as you mentioned, is another option, young player. But it's a big game against Gladbach, so whatever it is, I mean, this is the thing that, that Bayern has long been haunted by. And if we're if we're nitpicking at, at problems with Bayern, it, it's probably their lack of a true second striker. So maybe that's an option. Um, and again, it adds a, an element of intrigue to what is already a, a really intriguing match. Versus a young Claudio Pizarro when you need him. He was, yeah, perfect. Right. he was perfect for that role and being Peruvian, I was always happy to see him play for Bayern. I, I think the Davies thing was was interesting because as soon as Hernandez came on, I kind of thought, is Davies going to push up here? And he ended up doing that and was integral to the, to the second goal. You know, if he does play up front, I think that Canadians will absolutely lose their minds if he plays up front and does well. And that's certainly a possibility, Joshua, because obviously, you know, Davies ended up getting, what, 20 minutes there or something like that? I can't remember how much, but that's an option for them. You know, again, in terms of the forward options, you know, could they put, say, Ivan Perisic in a false nine role? Could they move someone else up there? I I could possibly see that being likely, too. The intrigue is all over the place, guys, and I, and I really appreciate everyone's insight here throughout the podcast, and, and a big thank you to, to Joshua for joining us this week. Uh, thanks so much, man. I, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your, your schedule to, to talk some Bundesliga with us. Yeah, anytime. I love it. Jeff and Peter, thank you guys for, for once again coming on this week. I know, uh, I know each week it gets harder and harder to deal with me as your host, but I appreciate it. I, I can't deny that, but it's always a pleasure. Yes, thank you, Ryan, for all the hard work you do. And Jeff, I'm just going to ignore the fact that you slandered my character about Leicester City. Not that you're wrong, I'm just saying I don't appreciate it. I'm so <laughs> glad that you came back to that. I thought you were ignoring me. I love it. Uh, for everyone here at the Food Pod, thank you for listening. This was episode three, and we'll see you next week.